We're seeing the visions of Revelation chapter 15 and in particular we're dwelling on the first of those visions and remembering how he was painting a picture for us and he picked up his brushes, John did, and he selected his colours, threatening colours of darkness and gloom and judgement and in verse 1 he starts to paint but he doesn't finish, he just stops dead. And he suddenly turns and he puts his brushes down and he selects another group of colours, colours of vibrant, vibrant with joy, colours that are full of song, colours of brightness and happiness. And he draws a picture, as it were, just to the side on the canvas and he draws a lovely picture of the people of God in the fullness of the joy of victory standing on the sea of glass and praising the name of the Lord. There's real victory here in this vision that we're looking at. In the second half of the chapter, he moves to the other side, the other end of the canvas, and then he paints that tremendous picture of the temple with the door, with its doors wide open going right into the presence of God, and we'll look at that later on. And then he moves on and finishes his picture with the terrible scenes of judgment in chapter 16, 17, and in chapter 18. Now that's the whole picture of the whole thing. Let's just read for a moment verses 1 and down to verse 4. I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. Now you can see straight away, can't you, the, the sense of that which is ominous and that which is dark, the wrath of God, the final pouring out of judgment. Then he stops. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten, notice the description, please. They've got the victory. We saw last week, these were the, those who had overcome. They got the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, over the number of his name. Stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God, and they sing. That's lovely, isn't it? Love to have heard them, you know. We will one day. We'll join them. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And listen to what's in that song. Saying, great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, and all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. Here they are. We looked last week at the singers, right? We looked at them and we saw, we saw them in the good of victory, those who had been the overcomers. They had lived through their lives and they had gained that glorious and final victory. They gained victory through life 
They've been overcoming the beast and overcoming his mark, overcoming the image, overcoming the number of his name. And here now they stand in the good of final victory, in the final triumphs of the saints, the final perseverance of the saints, standing glorified in the fullness of the triumph of the Christ. Well, we saw that overcoming was a major lesson that we we're going to learn, weren't we, from the book of Revelation, because it started off in chapter 1 with a beautiful vision of the Lord Jesus, and you can see straight away he's the one who has overcome death. He's got the keys of death and hell. He was, he is living, he was dead, he is alive again forevermore, and has got the keys of death and hell. There's a final grand and glorious victory in the hand of the Savior Christ, who has risen from the dead, who wiped Mary's tears away, who brought joy to the disciples when they saw the Lord and who ascended up in glory and sent the disciples on their way, ready to go forth to battle in the light of the victory that he had won. Then we went to chapter 2 and 3 and we saw the messages to the overcomer right through the church period, right to us today, living in church situation, the messages to be an overcomer. We went to chapter 5 and we saw the Lord Jesus yet again The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He has overcome and he has gained the right to bring in the whole purposes and counsels of God, to take the book and to break the seals and to bring in blessing for the people of God and judgment on a sinful world. We got to chapter 21 and we saw it came up all over again in verse 7. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me as a son, says the Lord God Almighty. See, this whole notion of being overcomers, of rising above our present circumstances, even when we, as it were, should be outnumbered and overwhelmed, but nevertheless moving forward always in the good of victory. That's a major theme right through the scriptures of truth. I was reading in the week, Romans chapter 8, and I got to that point where it says, we are more than conquerors through him that has loved us. Look at the sound of victory there in, that vo- in those verses. Look at the triumph that has come. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you go into Romans 8, it's a, it's a wonderful climax to that incredible section of Scripture from chapter 1, reaching into chapter 8. It's like there's a grand finale and it's a burst of triumph after he's painted such a serious picture of sin and of the evil world in which we live. And he says things like this. He says in verse 31, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That's like the song of Moses, isn't it? Hey, the greatest earthly monarch you could ever have, Pharaoh. He is there in all his power, but they see him in the waters of the sea, never to rise again. If God be for us, Pharaoh, you can't be against us, for our God is greater than Pharaoh. And then he moves on to verses like verse 34. Who is he that condemns? Who is the great accuser of the brethren? Who is it? It's the devil himself. Who is he that condemns? Where is he now? Why? Because it's Christ that died. Yea, rather, he's risen again. He's even at the right hand of God. And now he's making even intercession for us, living in the power of an endless life in the very presence of God. 
How can Satan bring a charge to God's elect? This is the song of the Lamb. It was the song of Moses who... Now it's the song of the Lamb who has gained the victory over the one who would bring back condemnation to us. And it moves on in all its glory when he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall all the burdens of this world and all the tribulations of the life as we live it in this world and all the difficulties that we face, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall it be tribulation? Or shall it be distress? Shall it be persecution? Shall it be famine? Shall it be nakedness? Shall it be peril? Or shall it be sword? No. In all these things, in all those situations of life, living in a, living in a world that is so anti-God, in all those situations, we are more than conquerors through him that has loved us. I am persuaded, he says, that nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? I mean, that's just like the grand finale of eight chapters. I used to think the book of uh, Romans sort of reached its peak there and then went and did a few sundry things as it moved on. It's not like that at all. It goes from strength to strength, from victory to victory to victory to victory. We won't go through that today. But I want to show you this. That burst of triumph that comes there, that burst of certainty that comes there, That burst that makes you say, more than a conqueror, thanks be unto God that gives me the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That comes after the earlier chapters. And you know, in those earlier chapters, it's quite remarkable because Paul's not living in a fool's paradise when he said all this. I mean, in chapter 1, he he actually told us the evil of the world in which we live. And these early believers would have understood in the Roman world straight away what he was on about, just as we understand it today. Because he says it's a world that's filled with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, argument if you like, violence if you like, and deceit, strife, malignity, evil-mindedness. People can't seem to think straight. Whisperers, backbiters, Haters of God, totally despiteful and violent, proud and boasters, inventors of evil things. I mean, what sort of perversions are they going to come up with next? Disobedient to parents. Remember, children, one of the greatest ways you can honor God as a child is to obey your parents. It's true. You'll be different to all the other children. You will be but you'll be honoring God without any understanding, not perceiving what is good and evil, not seeing the consequences of their own evil actions. Covenant breakers, they never keep their words without natural affection. That's without family affection. Broken homes, damaged children, broken hearts, none of it matters, it's all about me. And totally implacable and unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. And not only do they do it, but they have pleasure in them that do it, do them. In other words, they like people who behave like that, and they behave like it themselves. I mean, that, that's the world now in which we live. Let, look, stop putting varnish on it. Let's 
you know, put, take off the rose-colored spectacle, face the harsh realities of the ungodly world in which we live. We need a faith that doesn't just exist when the sun is shining. You and I need a faith that doesn't just exist in a goldfish bowl, you know, where there's sort of rarefied atmosphere and preservation from every little blast. We need a faith that can live in a real world. We can practice it where the rubber hits the road. I want to say this to you fathers here. On Father's Day, bring your children up with a real faith. Face the issues of the day. Answer their questions. Ground them in the truth of God. Pray that they'll have a faith that will work a real faith in a real world. Because it's that faith that gives the victory over the world. That's the teaching of the word of God. So you see, in the light of that, there's still victory in Romans chapter 8, in the light of Romans chapter 1. Now, if that's not enough, where he's told of the things we have to overcome outside of us in the world, in chapter 5, he tells us the other things we have to overcome and that are really against us, and that is sin. Sin brings forth death. You say, well, I'm free from my sin. Yes, from its judgment and its penalty. Problem you've got is within you lies that sinful nature. And the devil loves to work on it and it's constantly working against you. So you have sin in itself, which is powerful unto death. You've got that sinful nature still coming up within you that just wants you to turn the wrong way constantly. It's an enemy to be overcome. And then he says, and the problem you've got is that you in yourself and I in myself, we are so weak in the flesh. You see that? You say, well, there's good that I want to do. We're into chapter 7. But I just don't seem able to do it sometimes. And there's evil that I don't want to do, and I find myself doing it sometimes. And oh, wretched man that I am, you see. What are we going to do? I feel so weak in myself. I'm faced with the enemy without. I'm struggling with the enemy within. And he gets to chapter 8, and he shows it. He says, thanks be unto God. He says, we're more than conquerors. Now, do you see the idea of overcoming, moving on through the word of God? It's so important. There it is in the Roman epistle. If you want to go to the Hebrew epistle, you've got exactly the same thing in the Hebrew epistle. What does he say to those believers? Listen, he says to them, you lift up those hands which hang down. That sense of despair and despondency, you know, that's so difficult and it's so hard and I don't feel able. It will all be ruined, said Hanrahan, before the year is out. You know, that kind of song. There's so many people sing that they just can't get there because they're lost in their misery. He says, listen, just lift up the hands which hang down. That's despair. He says that in chapter 12. Because he said in chapter 11, I told you all about the witnesses that ran the race before us. And what did they do? Basically, they all overcame. That is what they did. In their day, in their age, in their situation and circumstance, every single one of them overcame came through the faith which they had and their hand in the hand of a God who gave them the victory. Now it's in every circumstance, every. I don't want to get digressed too much on that, but it's in every, can I say that? It's in every circumstance. You'll find a character relating to every possible circumstance of life which moves against you and presents a barrier in front of you to obstruct you and a mountain in front of you that you scarcely feel able to climb. There's an instance there for everyone. And they all went through life by faith, gaining the victory 
until the great and ultimate witness comes, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who in view of the joy that lay ahead, endured the cross. Notice how endurance and overcoming are so closely related. He endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he's now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's why we get the victory. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says in chapter 12, lift up the hands which hang down. You'll start to sing because he said, if you don't, may you make straight paths for your knee, for your feet. Because he said, what's coming behind? That which is lame might be turned out of the way. It's a lovely picture. It's saying to you, gain the victory. Cut a straight line through the word of truth. Walk a straight line in the pathway of life. Don't be turned aside to the left, stumbling to the right, not losing your, you know, losing your sense of direction and, and just not really, where, where do we do next? Fathers, it's a word for you on Father's Day. You're the ones to set the pace. You're the ones to overcome. You're the ones to lead the way. You're the ones to know the truth. You're the ones to show your faith. Coming behind you is your children, are your children. They are following in your path. You go astray and wander and you're not making straight paths. That which is lame, that which is weaker, following behind you, your children will be turned out of the way. Now take that as a word this morning. I really mean that. Set your face to do what is right and to do what is good and to follow the Lord no matter what. Keep your eye upon the host in heaven singing in the, round, in the victory of the sea of glass. And keep your eye upon Christ and looking unto Jesus. What does it say? The author and finisher of our faith. Don't go around miserable. No, we don't, fellow Christian. Don't give in to misery. Don't go around fearful, lost in your trouble. You think to yourself, I'm just beaten. No, no, no. We stand and we sing. That's Ephesians chapter 5, isn't it? You're speaking to one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. It was lovely to gather this morning, wasn't it? And to just sit in the presence of the Lord and hear one after the other, singing and making melody in their hearts to the Lord. We live like that every day, not just for a little few minutes on a Sunday morning. It's a song that we sing and it's a song of triumph. Yes, it is. It's a song of, that's full of the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's not a song all about yourself and how great you are and what you intend to do because that's a miserable whining sort of thing that's full of boasting. It's not a song about Satan and all the fears that we got because that just brings you doom and gloom. It's a song that's all about him and that is grace and glory. Tell you, let me ask you, fellow Christian, does the, does the Lord fill your heart like that? I was thinking of the ACL and you know, that opening hymn that they've been using in all their rallies lately. And it's very beautiful because it says very plainly, my life goes on in endless song. Above us lamentations, I hear the real though far off hymn that hails a new creation. No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock I'm clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? See, it's a song in the heart of the believer. When we were saved, he put a new song in my heart, even praise unto my God. Can you feel it, fellow Christian? It's in your heart. It bubbles up within. It's like that Ethiopian eunuch. When he saw that Jesus was the Son of God, it says he went on his way rejoicing. 
For that, he wasn't too happy at all. He was searching. He found it. He found him whom to know his life eternal. And you've got a song that's put in there, and it's never silent because the Bible says you rejoice in the Lord always. You say, but I don't have a lot to be happy about. Oh, but haven't you got the Lord? Because if you haven't, you haven't got a lot to be happy about. You really haven't. But it says we rejoice in the Lord always. And you see, you've got a song that's never silent, and you've got a hope, a hope that never, never dies. It's a hope that is sure and certain. And the Bible says in Hebrews, it enters into that which is within the veil. It goes right into the presence of God. You see, that's where these people are singing. And the picture we've got to encourage us this morning, it looks right into the presence of God because that's where you and I are going to be in a day to come. It's a hope that's sure and certain. It enters to that which is within the veil and we're grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock that cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. I remember being in the Shetland Islands when I was in my early 20s, and there were all fishermen up there who faced the, in those days, the fierceness of the sea without many of the technologies of today. They would row out on a, <clears throat> on a Sunday night, and they'd go out as far past sea, and they wouldn't be back far beyond the sight of land and they would not be back until the following Saturday night and many a time a man never returned and I gave that hymn out we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll you should have heard them sing they understood the sea they understood the meaning of an anchor that held them firm in the face of the storms that they had to face that's where we're at today fellow believer that's what I want you to get today you endure with a joy. You remain steadfast and firm, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because you see, this is what it means to be overcoming, to have the victory. This is what it actually means. See, the Christian is not reliant on what is without. We're not really, you know. It's lovely to have good circumstances. It's lovely to have encouraging thoughts. But when it's all said and done, we don't rely on what's without but we don't depend on what's without, but we do rely on what's within. Do you know what's within? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. You see, it takes you out of yourself and out of your circumstances and out of the world that we have to face in a hostile world that is anti-God and anti-Christ and it lifts you up to glory. You say, if God be for us, who can be against us? You start to understand it all. You see... In Romans, what you've got is the final perseverance of the saints. That's what you've got. You look back in your weakness and you think, this is incredible what's being taught in the Roman epistle. He's taught us that as Christians, we have been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We've been chosen, we've been called, we've been justified, and we shall be glorified. He that begun in us a good work will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. He will take us from our, he took us from our sins and he set us free. He'll take us from this world and from our own sinful nature and finally set us free. And we'll sing on that beautiful shore the marvelous songs of the blessed. That's what we'll do. And our spirits will sorrow no more, nor will we sigh for the haven of rest. Now that's the beauty just looking at these singers, all right? Now, what else do we want to do? 
We want to look at where they stand again this morning. Where are they standing? Well, it's quite clear. It says they stand on a sea of glass. That's amazing, isn't it? And uh, immediately there's two lessons from this sea where they're standing. There's perfect calm and there's perfect clarity. All right? One of the old versions calls it a crystal sea. You know, it's not just any old glass. It, you can see clearly through it, you see. That's, that's the point of it. It's like looking out on the bay on the right morning and you say, look at that sea. It's, just, it's, it's like glass. It's so calm. There's not a ripple on the surface. And you could just think as you're looking at John as he paints and you think, this is, this is really beautiful. I've never seen anything so calm. And look how clear it is. You know, you can see right down as far as you like. You can... Clarity and calm. That's the picture here. Sheet of glass. Clear as crystal. And yet the picture is it's mingled with fire. That's strange, isn't it? Fire is going through this picture of a sea of glass. Fire is always a picture of the judgment of God. The judgment of God. Now you think, put some fire into this picture and you'll soon stir up the top of the surface of the sea. It doesn't move, it's still a sea of glass. Because you see, what's so beautiful is, here's the redeemed standing there. And on the one hand, they're in the beauty of a peace that's been made. And they're in the beauty of truth that has been revealed. There's a clarity of vision now. And they understand it. What does the hymn say? You'll understand it better by and by. You don't understand life now, you'll understand it better by and by. When we stand on that crystal, that clear sea, there's perfect calm, there's perfect clarity and there's understanding, then there's a judgment of God. But it never troubles the believed, the, the, the redeemed, for the simple reason that they're safe in the arms of Jesus. They are safe on his gentle breast. There is no fear of judgment ever again crosses the spirit or disturbs the soul of the one who is rested in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not a thing. You've got a sea of untroubled calm. Notice that. It's not a troubled sea. The wicked are like the troubled sea. That's what it says. There's no troubled seas in heaven. The wicked, they make a troubled sea. We've already seen the picture of a beast rising out of the sea. He's a foul and filthy evil devil-empowered emissary to wreak havoc and tragedy in the world and to abuse and persecute the people of God. Now the picture you've got there is like looking from the top of some high rocks down on a massive, foaming, raging, powerful, fearful sea. And you stand in awe and fear of the tumult and the turbulence and the strength and the crashing of the waves, and then out of the middle of it all comes this filthy-looking monster, grotesque-looking creature. And you stand back and think, whoa. Now that's what you've got when you're looking at the devil at work, you see. That's a picture of sin, of Satan, and the wicked like a troubled sea, and the beast rising up out of the sea to do evil. But in heaven it's so different, you see. No, it's nothing like that. Out of the murk and chaos there comes the evil of the beast, but out of the purity and wonder of heaven, there comes the song of the redeemed. Are they afraid? No. Judgment, confusion, attack, the beast, the wicked one, even we've got to the judgment of God. There is nothing that can disturb the peace 
the security, the calm, the stability of the people of God. Fellow Christian, we have that in our souls now. In the reality of a tumultuous world that's standing itself on its head and bringing in every contraption of evil and despair, we stand firm on Christ the solid rock and there's a peace within our hearts. For we've got the idea, we know it clearly from the scripture, as he, he that is born of God, it says, says in that John, God keeps them and the wicked one touches them not. He'll never get us and take us back under his kingdom, you know. The worst he can do is take our life from us. The worst he can do is destroy the body, but he can't touch the soul. And yonder in glory, there's a rest that's waiting. There's a peace and a calm and a joy and a song which is already struck in our hearts and we'll sing it in its triumphal praise when we're standing perfect before God. Look at these people again. Look at them standing on the sea of glass. Sin cannot touch them. They're beyond its reach. Satan can't reach them. They're beyond his reach. And God will never judge them. For someone has borne it all for them. And they sing the song of the Lamb. The Lamb, the sacrifice, the Christ who died for them and delivered them from the wrath that is to come. Isn't that beautiful? When I was reading this and thinking about it, I thought of an old hymn that we used to sing when I was a child. Some of you might know the hymns of Tia Stegen back in the late 17th century. But it's very beautiful. It says this, There is no condemnation. There is no hell for me. The torment and the fire mine eyes shall never see. For in me there is no sentence. For me, death has no stings. Because the Lord who saved me shall shield me with his wings. Does that resonate in your heart? Do you know him like that? He'll keep you now and he's going to deliver us from the wrath that is to come. No angel and no heaven, no throne, no power, nor might. No love, no tribulation, no danger, fear, or fight. No height, no depth, no creature that has been or can be can drive me from thy bosom, can sever me from thee. My heart in joy upleapeth, grief cannot linger there. While singing high in glory amid the sunshine fair, the source of all my singing is high in heaven above, and the sun that shines upon me is Jesus and his love. That man had it, didn't he? He got this vision all right, and he already had the good of it ringing within his own soul, ringing within his own soul. So we look at the, where they're standing, on this sea, and we've looked at the idea of calm, We've looked at the idea of peace. We've looked at the idea of security. Satan cannot reach. Satan, sin cannot get. God will never judge. And now just look at the sea again because it's as clear as crystal. Do you understand that? It's as clear as crystal. You think of life today. Think of the puzzles you've got and the unanswered questions. Think of the troubles you see and you find them, well, you find them incomprehensible, don't you, really? What is happening in the world today? Will somebody tell me? <laughs> Think about it. I mean, Western culture is being stood on its head. It's being white-handed from within. What is actually going on? What, what is going on with COVID? Where does it all end? 
the world is, is lost in terror and fear. The virus is uh, such a little thing, you know. But uh, it's, it's causing such incredible outcomes worldwide. What is China actually doing as they laugh at the West? What is Russia doing while they laugh at the West? What is Afghanistan doing? I mean, they're in a plumb situation now that everybody's taken off and left all the weapons behind for them to have. And so, you know, your mind starts to, what is going on? But the truth is, when you get into the presence of God, in that coming day, right, there'll be no question that's unanswered and no complicated problem to which you will not see the reason why. When God unfurls that canvas and explains the reason why. The reason how he works in a world that we think is in utter confusion. There's a God who's still on that throne. Don't forget the sovereign God. He's behind the scenes and he moves the scenes which he is behind. And he works all things after the counsel of his own will. And you say, but I don't understand. Well, of course you don't. Nor do I, because I'm not God. We're finite and he's infinite. And the moment we do understand all that's going on and all that God is allowing to go on, will mean that we're divine or something in ourselves. And that's utterly foolish. And then you think of the puzzlements of your own life. You just think of the things that have happened to you or maybe are still happening to you. And you say, look, I, I don't understand. I just don't understand. It's... It's overwhelming me. It's, it's too much. There's no answers. It's not fair. You hear this constantly as people get lost in their troubles, looking at their troubles. I just want to say this. The things which are obscure to us, to him, the Lord Jesus, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, in other words, the A to Z, the other words, the one who knows the beginning from the end. You get the idea? And everything that lies in between, to him, it's as clear as crystal. Nothing moves outside of his will He is on the throne. He stands there in all his authority and in all his control, even though we don't understand it. And in the light of where we're at, faith looks up to God. Faith is content to rest in the hand of a living and a loving Heavenly Father. Faith knows that the victory comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith knows that there's a glorious future lying on ahead, whom he has justified, those he is also going to glorify. And faith has the victory. It rests in safety and in security, in peace and in clarity, and in the goodness of his presence, where there is no disturbance whatsoever. In his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And nothing can intrude to disturb that peace, that calm, that safety of the presence of God. You say, well, it would be lovely to get to heaven. Fellow Christian, I want to bring a message this morning about that. I have a definite message to give to you about that. And the truth is this. There's a lesson for us today, right now. Not as we live now in a troubled world, in our own troubled circumstances, and our own weakness and inadequacy. It's not just in the future. There we'll have the fullness of it. Now we live in the good of it and work it out in our practical circumstances. Because the secrets that we've just discovered about peace 
about safety, about security, about clarity, about understanding. Where did we find them? Where are these people finding it? Is they're standing there? They're finding it in the presence of God. And fellow Christian, you and I must learn to live our lives spending time in the presence of God. Spending time with the Lord. It'll change how you feel. It'll change how you discern. It'll change your whole outlook and attitude. It'll make you sing when you should be sighing. It'll make you rejoice when you should be weeping. Mary's tears. She saw the Lord. Her tears were gone. They were real tears. Gone. The disciples in despair, but they were glad when they saw the Lord. You see, in the presence of God, there is peace, clarity, and joy. The man or woman, the Christian man or woman who lives by prayer, is a man or woman who lives in peace. You want a cure for your anxiety? It's lying here. The secret is lying here in what we're reading. Anxiety is when you've got no peace. I'm not throwing stones at anxious people. I've been mighty anxious myself. (laughs) You see, because in the presence of God, you get peace because you see it from his point of view. Not only that, you just know who is ultimately in control. Not just of the circumstances, but he's in control of you. He's in control of you. He's got you in his hand. And a heavenly father, he never causes his child a needless tear. Sometimes it is hard, but it's so that we might learn something. Something about ourselves. Something about a wrong road we're on. Or just something about the Lord. When you trust him and rest in him, he becomes more precious to you. And you realize you can't live your life without him. Fellow Christians this morning, it's in the presence of God is the solution to living life today in victory and in peace and learning what it means to really be men or women of prayer. Because you see, you won't be overwhelmed. The peace of God will rule in your heart. Philippians 4 is is really very, very real. It just actually says, be anxious for nothing. That's the word there, careful for nothing. But in everything, in prayer and in thanksgiving, with the thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And then you say, well, when I do that, I'll get the answer to all my problems. It doesn't say that. It says, and the peace of God, which is better than understanding, will actually keep your heart. And the idea is there, it'll, it'll, it's like soldiers going around and forming a garrison so the enemy can't break through. And you say, no, I didn't get the answer, but I got peace. <laughs> and I'll understand it all better by and by. I want to say it again. The man or woman who spends their life in prayer, lives by prayer, is the man or woman who is living in the good of victory. We need to spend more time with the Lord in the presence of God. Now, what do I mean by that? Because it used to puzzle me when I was younger, and I think, well, I've, I've got to pray longer, so I get out more things to pray for. And then you'd run out of a shopping list, wouldn't you? And you didn't feel any better when you got to the end of it because you thought, oh, bother, you know? <laughs> I feel just as bad as I ever did. And I remember I used to mix with people who said, oh, we must spend all night in prayer for this. Well, I, I was quite serious, and I had a go at it and fell asleep. 
and felt promptly disgusted with myself, you know. And then somebody else says, well, you've got to pray through, pray through to get a victory. So you pray harder and you pray harder and you pray louder and you think of every adjective you can and, and it still doesn't work. At the end of it all, you're still sort of a spinning in the head. It's not like that, you see. It's not like that. <clears throat> sure, we, we have our disti- we, there are times when we distinctly just quieten our spirits and we turn and we look up and in our hearts we look to, we look to God. We look to a heavenly Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. You say yes, and then you take his word and you read it at the same time. It was very helpful to me to read. Um, ah, who's the fellow that had the, um, the uh, homes for the children in England? Thank you. <laughs> I used to, he got up at four o'clock in the morning and he prayed for four hours every day. And I thought, well, how'd you do that? And then it came as I read his life story. He would pray a little and he would read and he would think and he would pray. Because you know what happens then? Your your spirit is calm. The the water of scripture, there's like water washing over your soul, cleansing it and calming it. The cool, refreshing word of God. Your spirit is silenced and quieted. And you start, the Lord starts to speak to you. I I don't mean you, look, I'm not being magical or stupid, but you'll find the scriptures come to you to give you strength and comfort. And you, if you touch the Lord's presence, you'll never go away without peace. That's really what it's meaning. Psalm 73 has been a great blessing to me over many, many years. Psalm 73 tells you about a man that had this exact experience. And in Psalm 73, well, he just the man's in real trouble. He's in real trouble. And he's, he's in trouble because what he's doing is he's looking at the puzzlements of life. There are things he cannot understand. Things are happening to people around him and he can't understand them because they're wicked and they're doing really well. It's a real problem to him. He says, why do good things happen to bad people? And he's looking into himself and his own situation and he's groaning. You know, he's, he's being chastened, he said, all the days long. He said, I don't understand it. Good things happen to bad people. And then he says, bad things happen to good people. What's going on? I, he, he's trying to face the puzzlement of life and the injustice of a world of ungodly people who do prosper. People cheat, lie, steal, do dirty deals in business, and they get rich. Right? And a poor old Christian is trying to do the right thing. He ends up poor, if you like. And he says, look, there they are. They're actually vaunting themselves against God. They're saying, oh, how would he know? That's literally what he says. How would God know? What does he discern about anything anyway? And they shake their fist at him and they vaunt themselves, lifting themselves up. They're corrupt. They speak wickedly. He says their eyes are standing out with fatness. (laughs) They're so prosperous that things are going so well and they're speaking loftily and their mouths set against the heavens and their tongues going absolutely everywhere. And he says, but me, I've cleansed my heart. And look what's happened to me. He says, all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. Now he's in a bad space. He's in a bad space. I don't know, maybe you're in a bad space because you don't understand what's happening to you in your life. I don't know, maybe you are. Maybe you're getting overwhelmed with what's going on around about in the world. Maybe you are. I want to tell you something. What happens when you're like that? This man had no security whatsoever. In the psalm, he says, my feet had well nigh slipped. You know, he's on the skids. That's what he means. He's losing grip of everything. 
He hadn't got his feet grounded on what shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Remember, we talked about that last week. Those sandals that have got the firm grip on the ground. You understand your salvation, the gospel of peace. You're at peace with God and you've got the peace of God. And you know the God of peace and the fullness of your salvation that gives you peace and a settled sense of God in your relationship with him as your heavenly father. But he's missed that. His his feet are slipping. And he says his heart is grieved. I mean, he's got no joy in him. He's got no security. He's got no joy. And he says, my thoughts are, are painful for me. That's how he talks. In other words, he's got no security, no joy, no peace. And he's certainly got no song, all right? He's certainly got no song because he's complaining. When you and I are complaining, we're certainly not singing, right? Clear as a bell in Psalm 73. Very practical psalm. And then it's like the psalm just spins on a verse. And the man just changes in a flash and is hinged on one particular verse because it says this, he was like this until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I. You get it? What did he do? He suddenly stopped talking and he turned to God and he went into the presence of God. Fellow Christian, in that presence for us now is fullness of joy. There is a certain definite sense of calm. There is a peace which will quieten your soul. This man said, it was like this for me until I went into the sanctuary, until I prayed, until I really don't just, not just wrote prayed or desperately prayed. He moved right into the presence of God. Then he said, I understood. And you find the whole psalm turns on its head. It's an incredible psalm to read. He suddenly says, oh, look, he sees himself first. And he says, look, so foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. Now, think about the animal creation. Think about a beast. How does a beast, an animal, live? It lives on its feelings, right? I'm hungry, I kill, I eat. I'm angry, I snarl, I bite. So on. I'm miserable, I sulk. Go and so it goes. Lives on the passions and the feelings which they have. Now go easy in today's society where we're all told to live on our feelings. We're not. We've got something higher than feelings. Man is, has more than mere passions, reflexes and feelings. He has a mind. Right? There's something different between the animal creation and mankind. Won't go into that too far. But he says, I was behaving, living on my feelings. Would you stop living on your feelings? Pardon me putting it so bluntly. But let's all get over ourselves and get out of ourselves and see past ourselves and look to the living God and under the strength of the Lord live our lives, not with hands that are hanging down. That's what he says in the Psalms. That's what I was like. But he says, when I went into the sanctuary, look. He says, I suddenly realized I'm continually with thee. You know, we're never parted. The Christian is never parted from his Lord and the Lord never departs from the Christian. You know what he said? I'll come into you and I'll make my abode with you when you're saved and have my spirit in you. I'll make my abode with you. Do you know what abode means? It means you come to stay. Just imagine if I knocked at your door at nine o'clock one night, says I was passing by and I just dropped in to say, hello, I won't keep you a minute. I just want to know I was praying for you and thinking of you. I think that's great. Bingo, I'm gone. And then the next night I turn up at 9 o'clock at night and say, excuse me, but I've come to make me abode with you. 
You go, phew, he's not going away. Um, you get the idea. The Lord has promised never to leave us. He actually dwells in the Christian. If your heart has been cleansed by his precious blood, your sins have been forgiven, and you've turned away from it all, I tell you, he'll come there, he'll stay there, because he's as sure as the promise of his word. I am continually with me. And then he says, what? Thou hast holden me by my right hand. You never let me go. Look how he's lifting up suddenly. He says, you'll guide me with your counsel. Afterwards, you're going to receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There's no one on earth beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And he ends the psalm. He says, it's good for me to draw near to God. That's the message I want to give you today. Go into the presence of, the God, of, the, of God. Spend time with the Lord and learn to sing. You won't have to learn to sing. It's spontaneous. Now, you don't get a lesson in the notes first and learn the word second and then repeat it third. It comes up from within because what God has given to us is a well of water springing up into eternal life. It's the Holy Spirit working within us, linking us with God and his spirit. And together we rejoice and move forward in the strength of the Lord. We say thanks be unto God who gives us the victory. May we all be encouraged this morning. Press on, press forward. God be for us, then who can be against us? Let's pray. Lord, bless the word this morning we pray to the heart of each one of us some are weak and some are sad and some of us have never loved thee well but may the great physician with the balm of Gilead come with healing in his wings touch change our lives and draw us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ to him who loved us and washed us from our own sins, from the deepest and darkest of sins. Unto him be the glory and the honor and the praise and the thanksgiving forever and ever. Amen.